Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 73, The Need to Be Included. Yeah. Wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy Wait, cow. You're this not, you're this not sounds a little different. You might be noticing a deeper tone in this introduction, and that is because right now, Lori is unfortunately sick at home, mm. and so we are flying not solo, duo right. yes. here in the in the studio, Mano y Mano, and, <laughs> and it is the man show today. There you go. Because we have some wonderful things to talk about today. So my name is Matt Creek, and we are coming from Grand Rapids, and I am here with myself, yep. who usually is referred to as the Argyle <laughs> aficionado <Right>. slash therapist, <laughs> and the most professional radio voice among us, Steve. Thank you, producer Steve, for being here. You're welcome. And today, we are on our sixth in a series of 10 episodes that we're doing on core needs. Now, what are core needs, you might ask? Well, they are inside the metaphorical hole in our hearts, and they were put there to draw us back into relationship with God inside of Eden. But before the fall affected us, these needs were still there, and we had a perfect way to get them met in our relationship with God. But instead of take these needs to God, post-fall, we tend to take them other places. And so today, we are going to continue this conversation that we're having over core needs with the need to be included. And we have a very, very special guest with us today to help us unpack that. He is a writer, speaker, artist, and author of the book, The New Lonely, Ethan Reno. Matt, Ethan. Steve, thanks so much for having me on. Ethan, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be with us today. And Ethan, you have a degree in biblical studies from Moody Bible Institute, and you are currently enrolled in Denver Seminary, but you are currently living in Guatemala, teaching at a Christian school. Is that correct? That is all correct, yes. Well, that is very wow. exciting and pretty awesome. I don't know that we've had too many people from out mm. of country Skyping Ooh. into this podcast, so this how, is exciting. How's the weather in Guatemala? It is very hot. You could easily walk around with shorts and a tank top today and wow. be sweaty. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that sounds it's, it's lovely. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you've been in the, the Midwest before. You know what we're like in, in February slash early March. And it is cold. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is very cold. Yeah. Not missing it too badly. Not missing that part of it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, one day, one day you will get to miss it. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so, so Ethan, we're, we're talking about this, this need to be, well, this need to belong and, and, and how that inclusion, that need to be included affects us in, in loneliness. And we're going to be talking through that book that she wrote and some of your perspective on loneliness. But first, we're going to take it to our question of the week where we get some answers from the audience. And, and the question of the week from last week was, do you get excited or nervous about meeting new people and going new places? Does it energize you or annoy you? So Ethan, how do you respond to new people in new places? Oh, that's a good question. They wrote that just for me or is that just kind of like a general? From a team of introverts, (laughs) um, you know, we we wrote that probably specifically for you, but everyone (laughs) has a take on it and everyone's take is unique and sometimes beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge time extrovert. Um, like, so I I live in Guatemala right now and the toughest part for me about being here is I I foolishly don't know any Spanish or I didn't know any Spanish when I first moved here. And so I'm the, I'm the kind of person that goes to the coffee shop and wants to have a 20 minute conversation with the barista, (laughs) sit down at my table, have a 20 minute conversation with whoever's at the table nearest to me, go to the gym, have a conversation with five new people that I haven't met before and like help each other work out. And so 
like being in Guatemala where I don't speak the language has been incredibly difficult for me to just be like, hola, me llamo Ethan. Hola, me llamo Ethan. And that's like all I knew how to say when I first came here. And I've gotten better since then. But I mean, that kind of answers your question yeah. about like. Excited. Um, <laughs> very, very much so. Yes. Okay. I, I, I took the Myers-Briggs a couple years ago and I, I, I don't know what the last three mean, but I remember being 100% E, extrovert, and then in the rest of them, I was kind of in the middle or something. I can't remember, but well, <laughs> it was just all the way on that side. Very nice. I mean, we, we need extroverts in this world because otherwise we would be very isolated in, in our own just inner worlds, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, quick question, follow-up question. You're in Guatemala. You don't, or when you got there, you didn't speak very much Spanish at all. How long have you been there? I have been here since July of last year, so okay. school year. Okay, yeah. so so not even a full calendar year yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, very cool, very Man. cool. Steve, was there was there any listener response that you uh, kind yeah. of felt attached to? I appreciated what David said. Over the years, I've actually grown to become excited about meeting new people. Uh, new places have always been exciting, but that uh, wasn't always the case for people. Uh, he goes on to say, it sounds cheesy, but it really is this idea of strangers or friends you haven't met yet. And obviously one does uh, need to use discernment in some situations, but uh, that phrase has really <laughs> helped me make some friends that are actually my closest relationships. Hmm. So, and I mean, I'm kind of, I don't know, sometimes it depends on the situation, but I'm an extrovert, meaning I uh, get recharged by being with people, but I'm also shy. So uh, that's kind of tricky. And I think it often means I like being with my tribe, you know, people yeah. who I know. Yeah. Um, but uh, new people, I've in recent years gotten into situations where I know I'm going to be going someplace where it's all strangers. Mm-hmm. And I think if I know that that's coming and I can expect it, I do kind of get excited about the prospect of ne- meeting new people. Um, but it's also nice to have a buddy along oh, with, you know, yeah. going into that situation. Definitely. So, yeah. Definitely. Well, I really latched on to what a few people said. Ashley and Sarah both said very similar things. Meeting new people are kind of frightening, depending on the situation. New places, though, are totally exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, so people, for me, it, it, and I, I kind of bemoan the fact that God called me into a very people-oriented job as a therapist and I'm meeting <laughs> new people all the time, mm. you know, and it's kind of comical. But new places, like going and, and seeing new new land, new like going to out west or, you know, traveling different places sounds really exciting. Mm. But the people, for me, is just, it's terror-inducing <laughs> at, at times. So we definitely need those people to break the ice. We need those extroverts to get us out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. and... And get us to to actually give people a chance because yes, <laughs> most of them are actually very friendly once you get to know them. Mm-hmm. True. So, moving from that, we are going to take a little bit of a break and head to Goofball Island, the time Uh-oh. of the week where we take a vacation from our problems, and we'll ask you some <laughs> questions, Ethan, so our audience can get to know maybe a little bit different side of you. Time for Goofball Island. The game that we're playing is called The Moral of the Game Is, and the vehicle we're going to take to Goofball Island is a milk truck. In honor of how many gallons of spoiled milk youth groups have consumed Mm. over the course Uh. of the the (laughs) millennia. (laughs) Wow. The setup for the game. Pretend you're a youth pastor. 
Okay. Okay. And we're gonna. I'm gonna give you a game, and and a little brief description of the game, and you have to give me the moral lesson, that that is going to accompany this game on the, you know, the youth group night. Okay. Make sense. Okay. Got it. All right. So so get your thinking, creativity. You know, juices flowing, and and we're gonna we're gonna make some games happen. Awesome. All right. <laughs> so. First game, and Ethan, I'm going to throw this one to you first, is called Baby Bird. Okay. Okay, so two teams of students compete. On each team, one student acts as the mother bird, and the other acts as the baby bird. The mama bird (laughs) grabs gummy worms from a pile of smashed-up Oreo dirt using chopsticks. Oh, see, they should use just the mouth. And then spits (laughs) or drops them into the mouth of the baby bird, who then spits them into a nearby plastic eggshell. And the team with the most worms and the eggshell at the end of 20 seconds wins the game. All right, so what is the moral or the story of this game? Oh, I feel like this one. This one's a. This one's a softball. You kind of just like lobbed it for me to just whack out of the park because, obviously, you're going to use these worms as a symbol of our salvation and the mercy that we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because does that baby bird do anything to warrant the mama bird using chopsticks to drop them into his or her mouth? No, of course not. The baby bird just hatches out of an egg and expects to be fed, just like us. We don't do anything to earn our gummy worms. They're simply dropped into our mouth from the almighty chopsticks of God. (laughs) That's that's really good. Wow, I am am thoroughly impressed, actually. Um, Steve, are you going to be able to... to Oh, probably match not. or top that. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, mean, I was a youth pastor for three years. So okay, this is, so ah. this is—is is this a game you've actually played? <laughs> um, I mean, we used our mouths. We didn't use chopsticks. That's kind of okay. Yeah. Okay, so this is one that you've you've actually utilized in 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 the spiritual development of young people, you know. And so I I applaud you for that. But, but <laughs> more or less. <laughs> but Steve, I'm gonna throw right. the next one to you. It yep. is called Spaghetti and Marshmallow Tower. Hmm. Okay. So you provide each group with one pack of spaghetti and one pack of large marshmallows. Teams are then charged to use their supplies to build the tallest freestanding tower they can. That's it? Yep. So the winner is whoever can build the tallest tower. Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm going to say this has to do with our interdependence on one another in the body of Christ and how we are all like linked uh, like the marshmallows and the marshmallows and the spaghetti, mm-hmm. but also uh, we need one another to to build uh, the kingdom. Um, obviously, we need the Lord, but uh, but we work together as His church. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I got. So so many parts of one body type of mentality. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Nice. Ethan, do you approve nice. of that message? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I may have gone a little Genesis 11, like Tower I, of Babel, I, I thought because about it's that. just fragile and God could have wiped it down, but... Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. If, Either way, you know? If, if the students had to each speak a different language, then maybe I would have gone there. <laughs> there <you go. laughs> oh, that'd be good. See, first you drop... I'd be like an icebreaker for an ESL-type youth group. Yes. There you go, yeah. <laughs> or you drop your, your youth kids in, in Guatemala when none of them speak Spanish <laughs> right. and then say, okay, yeah. build the tower. <laughs> yeah. All right, very good. Okay, this next one I'm actually really excited about because mm. I have never heard of this game. It's called Grog. So, Ethan, mm. I hope this one is not a softball for you, but <laughs> Grog, the name of the game, purpose of the game is to take apart a flashlight 
and hide the parts throughout the play area. One kid is the Grog, which is a monster that can freeze you in place by tagging you. So think freeze tag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But everyone has to work together to find the missing parts of the flashlight, assemble the flashlight, and shine it on the Grog to defeat it. Can you get unfrozen once you're tagged? No. You become another Grog. No, I, I don't know. I actually don't know. Okay. What, okay. Uh, do you, is it going to change your answer if the the ruling is no or yes? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to work out the mechanics in my head of like how that game would work with high schoolers. But oh man, that's tough. Um, I guess the the first thing that comes into my head is First Corinthians 12. You know, different parts of the same body and they can't function isolated from one another. It's like you have to have the entire body working together. And I guess the devil is the instrument that tries to separate us and oh, tear us yeah. apart and keep us apart. Very That's good. good. Yeah. I mean, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Steve, do you have any any uh, other other leanings that you were going with? I well, I was thinking about whoever you know tags them and they freeze. I don't know. Like maybe that is somehow associated with shame and the accuser. So the, again, the enemy, Satan, oh. uh, and you get just like frozen up. You're no good to anybody when you're stuck in shame. I, I don't know. That was true. A bit out there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I like it. I right. like it. it the, the, the theme of the enemy, you know, yeah. is, is, is definitely a consistent piece of this game. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we're going to move to, to another game and we're going to make this the last one just to keep things rolling. And this one is called, Ultimate Duck Duck Goose. Okay. Oh, I've played this. This one's fun. Oh, wait. You played it? Oh, you, yeah. This one's, this one's another softball then for you, but I'm interested. Well, this in one's to, for me, so. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah Steve, yeah. you'll answer first. So, Ultimate Duck Duck Goose, when there are more than 50 students, the game is apparently a lot of fun, uh-huh. but you play Duck Duck Goose as you normally would. However, when a few people get tagged and go to the middle, they then begin another game of Duck, Duck, Goose inside <laughs> the, the bigger circle. So you've got okay. concentric yep. Yep. circles of Duck, Duck, Goose okay. high-flying action going on at, at one time, I guess. <laughs> okay, uh, that's not the version I've played. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Uh, okay, so I'm trying to picture this. It's a big, big circle of about 50 kids, mm-hmm. but as they get... Uh, tagged out. Tagged out. They or, just enter another game. The, okay. Well, it's uh, like Inception. I, all right. Well, to me, this seems like maybe about, you know, uh, reproduction, uh, replication, you know, like how as you become a Christian, then you become an evangelist and other people are then brought into the family of Christ and you want to, you know, uh, be a witness and be always working on, you know, making disciples like Jesus told us to. And so you're always starting a new duck, duck, goose game. Nice. (laughs) Very good. I don't know. Nice. <laughs> I applaud that. Thank you. Okay, now Ethan, you said this was a little different than what you were expecting. Do you have a Yeah, we played response? like it was kind of like Team Duck Duck Goose. So, it was different. All yeah. right. <laughs> Man, I don't think I have anything better than Steve's though. That was a good one. Okay, All when right. cool. Steve, I'll be honest, when you started to say reproduction, I was like is this, <laughs> how is this a sex talk? <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> the, <laughs> yes. Oh, Cuz they handle that in youth group, don't they? I mean, they should. Yeah, the ducks I mean, I and the bees. So. Right, right. You know. <laughs> anyway. All right. Bringing it on back to the heart of the matter. So, Ethan, we, we like to, to get down in, into some really deep topics, and we're really excited to get into to what you call the new lonely and everything. But, but first, we start out with the same two questions to every guest, and that is, 
if the gospel is I am more loved than I can imagine, yet more sinful than I can believe, mm-hmm. if that is the gospel, when was the gospel first good news for you? And then how is it still? Hmm. Um, yeah, I get asked this question and I always think it's, it's hard for me to answer because I am not someone with a, you know, like drug, sex and rock and roll aha moment. Like my dad was a pastor and I never really went down a rebellious path. I, like the most I did was kind of dabble in existentialism my freshman year of college. But like it was I never really had like a big party phase or anything like that. So I, I kind of have like a slow progression from being a itsy bitsy teeny tiny baby believer, you know, being born mm-hmm. into a pastor's home and, and then just kind of growing from there. Um, like there's a couple milestones, like for instance, in 2010, I went to YWAM youth with a mission and worked okay. with them for two years and going to YWAM really shifted how I saw God a lot. Like that was kind of where prayer and the spirit became much more real to me. And then I went to Moody a couple years after that in 2012. And that was kind of where God's word came alive to me and like studying it and like kind of milking the truth out of it and understanding it in a really deep way and loving theology. Mm-hmm. So there's just kind of, it's kind of been like a slow progression with like some key milestones along the way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I guess it, it's not really like a where and when, but just kind of a slow fade. Yeah. Or the <laughs> to slow where growth. I am today. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not anywhere special now. You know, I'm still on very much on that journey, but it's just, um, yeah, occasionally these milestones come along and it's like, yeah, I really feel like I learned something there and kind of grew in that season. Yeah. Yeah, now I you you bring up your time at, at Moody and, and really learning about Bible and, and everything as as you should as Moody is a, a prestigious Bible institute. Um, but I remember from your book um, there was a, a an interchange that you described with with another uh, classmate when you were at Moody where where you had been there and and there was some I, I guess displeasure with with just the pace of life the way life was going the the kind of regimented uh, rigid routine of, mm-hmm. of life and, and how you were, you were really longing to kind of go and do something new. And, and mm-hmm. you described this, this interchange in, that you had with the student at, at like a coffee shop or something where he had, he had kind of come out to you and said, I really want to be your friend, but I don't know that I can invest in you because of how you keep talking about wanting to be elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when we're talking, we're sitting here and we're going we're gonna to start this conversation on, on loneliness and the need to be included. And that seems like an incredible moment where, I mean, this, this guy was very vulnerable with you and, and being that honest. And, and, and maybe, I, I don't know, can you speak into that, that interchange a little bit and how, how that maybe shaped some of, your, some of what you wrote in the book and, and how, how you started kind of down this path of, of talking about loneliness is something that's very important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, phenomenal memory, Matt. <laughs> you, you, got, you got that completely right. Um, so like I said, I, I was at YWAM before I was with Moody. And if you don't know what YWAM is, it's this missions organization that has hundreds maybe thousands of bases all over the world. Yeah. So for two years, um, I had just 
Um, I, so basically, I finished one year of college on Cape Cod. I had moved from Colorado to Cape Cod for one year of college for a girl. Then went to YWAM in Australia. Then bounced all around the world. I was in a different country like every month or every two months or something like that. So I'm with these like hyper charismatic, very energetic, wanderlust filled believers doing all this crazy stuff, seeing miracles. And then like I kind of impulsively had applied to Moody only because I knew it was free from tuition and um, somehow got in. I think because I was in YWAM that helped me out. They saw that I, you know, wanted to do ministry. And so, um, so I go from this crazy life of living all over the world, being in a different country every couple months to suddenly being planted in Chicago, you know, with the same people going to the same classes, living in the same dorm, for more than a couple months at a time. And I started to get like really itchy. And I was like, what am I doing here? This is like, I need to move on. I like, I, um, I realized that it was just a really unhealthy pattern, or I guess in retrospect, I see it as that this was this really unhealthy pattern where I would show up to a place, I would be this really cool, mysterious traveler type guy. And then before anyone could really get to know me, I would leave. And I kind of had that persona when I went to Moody. And obviously, when you go to college, you're going to be there for three or four years, like I was. And so this this guy, his name was Ian, he sits me down and he says, you know, like, I really want to be your friend, but I, I can't, like you said, Matt, just because I feel like you're just going to get up and leave again, like you have for the past two years, wherever you've been. And it kind of humbled me, or it kind of caught me off guard because I was like, man, like, do people really want to get to know me for one? Mm-hmm. Like, am I worthy of being known and having other people know me? And two, like the way that I carry myself makes it impossible or at least very hard for people mm-hmm. to get to know me yeah. and to have a relationship where I can pour into them and they can pour into me and just let, you know, just like normal relationship things. And <clears throat> so that kind of it, it caught me across the jaw. And I was like, I think I should change the way that I'm doing things if I want to make any friends while I'm here at college. (laughs) So over the next three years, like, you know how when you're in a season that at the time seems really, really hard, it's probably because you're being humbled and it's probably because God is teaching you something and you're growing in some way because growth is painful. Like physically when you're a child and you're growing, it hurts. Like I remember, I guess I don't really remember growing pains. But, you know, any time of growth is going to hurt. So when I was at Moody, I didn't enjoy that feeling of being humbled, having to relearn how to make friends as a 21-year-old. And, you know, just essentially being humbled in multiple ways. And that always stings. Yeah, there's this huge transition from this kind of wandering, transient kind of persona of, of bouncing from the, you know, a, a beautiful location to beautiful location to, mm-hmm. you know, but, but being all over the world, but not being planted, um, you know, mm-hmm. and then going to this place where it's like, you're, you're planted there for a season for three years, you know, four years, mm-hmm. however long it took. But, but in that kind of tedious nature, you, you, you found yourself, okay, still longing as you called it wanderlust, like you, this, this desire to be on the road and to be changing scenery and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yet yeah, there's also this sense of, okay, that that's not, that wandering, while it might be physically vulnerable, it's emotionally very distant from people. And you described that mm-hmm. very well. And 
to be planted, to be in, a, in the same location, to be involved in relationship with the same people day after day, you know, it affords opportunity to, um, to have those deeper relationships and, and to kind of belong somewhere. And so, I mean, was there, was there a time, you know, and maybe it's the, the slow growth day to day that you described from your, from your like overall spiritual life, but was there a time when you realized that, okay, this, this belonging is, is necessary um, and, and even something to be sought after? Yeah, I guess maybe it, it took all the way to the, near the end of my first year at Moody when I, two things happened. One, I read a book called Surfing for God, which was about pornography. Mm-hmm. It was by my friend, Michael Cusick. We became friends afterwards because I found out he lives in Colorado. And um, it's about porn. And it was about like, basically I had never, I always assumed that my struggle with porn was simply rooted in the fact that I was single and lonely and horny, you know? Um, (laughs) Hormonal, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, so, you know, once I get married, it'll just go away. And somehow I was like oblivious to the fact that porn destroys marriages all over the world every day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, that would never happen to me. So what this book did was it exposed the deeper roots of pornography and the symptom or how pornography is basically a symptom of deeper issues. Mm -hmm. Like in in your language, it would be there's a hole in our heart that we're trying to plug up with pornography. And what we need to do is figure out the proper things to fill those holes with, you know, because we have authentic needs, we have God given needs, like you said, um, and we're trying to fill them with the wrong things. And for me, that was pornography. So I read that book and it blew my mind and radically changed my life because suddenly, um, in addition to being in the same place, surrounded by the same people who were trying to pour into me as I was slowly learning how to pour back into other people, I realized that I was trying to pour from an empty cup basically because I was just, you know, filling that void with these false digital relationships with women on the internet. Right. And so that happened and it was just a big shifting moment where I realized like I can be real with people. I can, I can say when I'm having a bad day, when I'm feeling excluded for some reason or another when I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, you know, and people can respond to how I'm feeling. People can get to know the real me. I can be vulnerable with Mm -hmm. people. And it was kind of just, it was a couple months of just kind of being able to say, look, this is who I am. I'm not trying to impress you anymore. I'm not trying to be this cool guy who's constantly just kind of dumping his travel stories on everybody or dumping Mm -hmm. some impressive fact out or you know whatever it is like I feel like you can always recognize an insecure person by how hard they're trying to impress you you know and that was me that was 100% me just trying to impress people rather than connect with people and so I would say looking back that was kind of the spring of 2013 that was one of the biggest times in my life where I just remember peeling back the layers and being real with people, making some real connections that have lasted until now, you know? Mm. Um, what is it, six years later? And I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I met that first year at Moody. Yeah. Well, and it, it sounds like, and I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown, um, but, mm-hmm. but she talks about the, yeah. the need for vulnerability, 
right. um, and in, in being authentic and in fostering belonging and inclusion in relationships because you can, you can very easily put on a persona and fit in, you know, mm. and people will like you, but they will like this like false, false you. And so it seems like you reach this point where you're like, no, I want people to know the real me, the genuine mm. me. And, and that that's vulnerable because they can reject you, you know, right. but, but thankfully in your case, they, they didn't. And you found these friendships and you found these kind of, you know, at least six year long, but hopefully lifelong relationships mm. that have been very important to you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm very familiar with her. I love her. Yeah. Like you said, the contrast between vulnerability and shame, you know, like shame, mm. you guys, I'm imagining you're familiar with this, but Genesis three, you know, like the, the fact that shame drives us to hide, yeah. whereas vulnerability yeah. is kind of like ex exposure of some sort mm -hmm. and being met with acceptance and love. Yeah. And it's almost like that, um, you know, the need to, to be included, mm -hmm. like when I'm trying to impress and it sounds like Ethan, what you were saying when you were trying to impress with, you know, your stories, that's kind of like a false way of getting in and being included, but it's not like you said, Matt, it's not really you that ends up being included in that. Yeah. But, mm. but when, when we're vulnerable and when actual like real true heart connection happens, you know, then that's a more genuine, okay, you're in, you're included and that, um, core need is met, but it doesn't happen without vulnerability. Yeah. Without vulnerability. And, and, you know, Ethan, you talk in your book about, you know, what you call the new lonely and, and mm -hmm. you describe it kind of as being in, in relationships that are, you know, a plethora of relationships, a mile wide and an inch deep. Like there's no real depth. There's no real, um, connection you know mm -hmm. and and putting that false self forward is is one way to 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 get that can you speak a little bit more into kind of this concept of the new lonely it's not just someone isolated in a room by themselves it, it can be people who are completely surrounded by people a hundred percent of the time yet still mm -hmm. on the outside looking in yeah absolutely um so i, I the my elevator pitch for the book is basically um you rewind 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and the people in society who are lonely are widows, prisoners, orphans, outcasts of any kind, but yeah. like pe people who are literally physically cut off from other human beings, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Those are the people that society would have called lonely. And you would think that by adding more connectivity to the world, loneliness then would be reduced. However, like, I can't remember the exact statistics from the study, but like more people today, at least in the Western world, report being lonely than ever before in history. Mm -hmm. So obviously like pure communication, access to communication is not the solve all to the problem of loneliness because now the people who are Lonely are not only widows, orphans, and prisoners, but any person with a smartphone who doesn't really know when to cut themselves off from it. It's anybody with too many friends who don't really know them super well. It's me, you know, when I showed up at Moody and I was surrounded by people, I had a smartphone in my pocket, but I was just like, you know, sh showing them a very superficial version of myself. So the idea of the new lonely is people unlike 50 years ago, who are surrounded by people, constantly connected to people, and yet feel more lonely than, you know, other generations before us. 
So it's the idea that um, the, the, the solution to the problem was not simply quantity of mm-hmm. relationships, but it was the quality. Because I think now we're almost drowning in the quantity of relationships and connectivity, but we've sacrificed um, depth. You know, we don't have a, a we don't have a lack of numbers. We have a lack of depth. So that's the new lonely. In essence, you have the old lonely or classical lonely. I think I called it in the book, which was those phys- those uh, orphans, prisoners. However, we today, I would say that most of Americans represent the new lonely. And now you you have a pretty pretty interesting story where where that kind of realization came out um, when when you happen to be on a run on a December day in Chicago and your life well just changed uh Mm. i mean can you can you jump in a little (laughs) bit to that story and and how that led you to this point of realizing that numbers are not going to be the cure for for this loneliness oh yeah (laughs) um yeah so i was i was running in december in 2015 in chicago and you guys are familiar with the midwest so you know that most decembers in chicago are like sub 27 degrees or something like that Mm But this one day, it happened to be like 65 degrees and raining, and so I decided to go out for a run, and, you know, it's raining, so I take my shirt off, and there happens to be a news crew out on the beach of the lake. And so I run over to them, because the beach is completely empty, and I run over to them, and I say, hey, what's going on? And they're like, hey, we should interview you. We're out here doing a weather report about this, you know, these crazy temperatures in December. We should interview you since you don't even have a shirt on. I was like, great. So they interviewed me, and I decided it'd be funny to mention that I was single on, you know, um, public television with my shirt off. And so I did, and I said, all right, guys, have a good night, see ya. And I start running home. And while I'm running home, I'm thinking to myself, gee, I really hope I can find that video so I can show my parents and my friends, because <laughs> it was funny that I did that on TV. I go home, and I look up the, the news channel's Um, website and I'm right there on the front page I was like whoa I'm on the front page of this local news station in Chicago I go on Facebook and that video within the 15 minutes it took me to run home had gotten 24,000 views in 15 minutes and so my friends and I go out to dinner we're eating sushi and we're just watching on our phones as it goes 60,000 70,000 80,000 90,000 and the next day it hit 2 million and the next day it hit 4 million and so suddenly I'm being inundated with emails and messages um, from news stations and Cosmo magazine and GQ and Time magazine People magazine everyone you know, it's like, whoa, who is this guy? This is crazy. And it's just like this viral thing that happened within a couple days. And the video ended up being at almost 5 million views just on the original video. But, you know, it was like broadcast all mm-hmm. over the world. Um, I had friends from YWAM who were like, dude, you're on TV in China. Dude, you're on TV in uh, Brazil. <laughs> you know, like, so it was just this surreal moment. It was absolutely the craziest moment in my life and um looking back on it i just kind of feel like there was this big part of me that just wanted more you know like um oh i'm only at 50 million views man if only i could get 10 Mm. (laughs) you know like where did i say 50 million i'm at 5 million like like there's never enough prior to that point 
I had never even gotten 50 likes on a picture. And suddenly I'm having, you know, 5 million views and still wanting more. And it only goes to show that no matter how many views you get, you know, it's never going to be enough because those digital, you know, blinks of affirmation really are just absolutely meaningless. They, they do absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, for, for proof, there were like two or three weeks ago, <laughs> I think there was the most liked picture ever on Instagram was this picture of an egg. Did you guys hear about yeah, it? I just actually read about that today. And I think like relevant magazine or something, hmm. it surpassed uh, the Kendall Jenner's baby picture or whatever. And I was yeah, like, wow, Chloe. an egg. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so proud of that egg, but <laughs> it just goes to show that if a freaking, you know, egg can get more likes on a picture than Chloe Kardashian, then like it, it means absolutely nothing. Yeah. There's absolutely no bridge between you and these other human beings you're interacting with, um, on social media. Most of the time at least at that level, you know? Yeah. Like when it, when, when I first got Facebook in 2007, it was just for me and like my 20 friends from youth group, like, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas now I I feel like the way that everybody, or at least most people use it has changed so drastically where we're just chasing numbers at such a intense speed you know, like that's our drive. And when you use it that way, it's just, it quickly becomes unhealthy mm-hmm. as I found out after the viral video, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it I was mean, a very surreal season. And I guess I feel like if nothing else, God kind of gave me that perspective so I can reach it, reach the plateau and look around and say, Oh, it's really not that great up here. You know, <laughs> like there's nothing to be gained. <laughs> there's nothing added to my life right now. Yeah. Like, sure, it, it, it feels good for a second every time I see a new comment or a new like or something, but, you know, those things are all so superficial and meaningless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you kind of reach this plateau and you find it wanting, that, that it mm-hmm. doesn't scratch the itch, even though it feels good for a moment, that it's, that it's not going to satisfy. And so, you know, you talked about a few different things, the, the kind of instant fame that you achieved through this, this random run you know, through, through the pornography use and how both of those just left you wanting more and like disconnected and still feeling lonely and like, you don't Mm -hmm. matter. Like it's not, it's not real. And, and so, you know, we talked about what doesn't work. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, okay, when did it start to really kick in to you that, that there is a cure for loneliness or that, that there is something that is actually worthwhile? Yeah. Um, you may have noticed this as you were reading the book, Matt, but I, I, I really did not want to give, like, here's the cure for loneliness. Yeah. Here's the solution. Here's the steps. <laughs> um, but a couple things that have really benefited my life, um, in the spring of 2013, when I kind of had that big epiphany, I guess, mm-hmm. a couple months of epiphany, one of the things that really drew me closer to the Lord and closer to myself was it's called centering prayer mm-hmm. and it's it's less of prayer and more of just kind of sitting silently and silencing your thoughts and not reading and not writing and not listening to anything but just um simply being you know yeah. like mm-hmm. you think about the term human being how mm-hmm. often do you take time to just be we're off we're so often 
absorbing and doing and producing and connecting and, you know, like, but do you ever just be, aside from sleeping, but do you ever just take time to simply be? So I'd set my phone timer for 10 or 20 minutes. And then, um, I mean, I, I read a book on centering prayer called 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God. And it's a cheesy title, but a really, really good book. And he's just saying, like, you need to, like, gently, whenever your mind starts to wander and get off track, just gently call it back, Mm -hmm. like, meditate in this real biblical sense of meditation. Like, um, maybe one day you kind of are focusing on the word presence Mm -hmm. or father or something like that. And whenever your, your brain starts to wander, you call it back to that. Um, and you focus on kind of just being in the presence of God without having to do anything. Like, I feel like Christians often fall into the trap of the more I do for God, the more he'll love me back. Mm-hmm. The more I pray, the more scripture I memorize, the more poor people mm-hmm. I give to, whatever it is that we kind of use as these like bargaining chips with God. Like, I think that taking time to just be not only reconnects you with God and makes you more aware of his presence, but it also reconnects you to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when that happens, you're less scared of other people and you're less likely to try to impress them. And you're less likely to try to fill that void with, you know, unhealthy things. So that was one of the biggest practices for me that really helped, um, both help me quit pornography and help me just become more comfortable with myself and with other people mm-hmm. and kind of peel back those layers. Like I was saying, it didn't happen with other people. It happened when I was by myself with God, just getting to know myself in silence. And um, yeah, you can never underestimate the power of just like silence and meditation. Mm-hmm. And it really it shifts your entire day. Um, well, and that's an interesting concept that in order for you to you know, kind of begin to, to understand and, and work through like these, this loneliness you felt it, it took you slowing down, being alone, like not mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with people. I mean, as much as, you know, your, your friends and everything are good. It, it took this real, you know, concerted desire to connect with God as opposed to just connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's, it seems almost counterintuitive. I mean, especially from a worldly standpoint that, oh, if you're lonely, you need to be around people when, mm-hmm. when, you know, it seems like, okay, if you're, if you're lonely, well, you need to be around God and, and yourself, you know, because yeah. if you're uncomfortable with yourself, you're always going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. around people. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. I think, I think I said this somewhere in the book, something about like, you know, lonely people will often try to get rid of the loneliness by drowning it out. You know, and it's still going to be there when it's exposed, you know, when you're alone, when it's quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to a party isn't going to make it go away. You know, watching Netflix all day isn't going to make your loneliness go away. It's just going to distract you from it and make you unaware of it. And that is the real drive, you know, toward Netflix or toward porn or toward parties. It's like, it's not that it cures your problems, but it simply gives you relief from them mm-hmm. for a long enough period of time that you feel like it's doing something good for you. Right. Yeah. It's a distraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a numbing agent. Emotional Tylenol. Emotional Tylenol is yeah, how we, we like to, <laughs> to put it here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so I, I think, 
we could probably spend a lot of time talking more in depth about loneliness, especially, and I'm, I actually am a little bit ruining the fact that we didn't get to like men specifically, because I feel like it's just an epidemic, especially for men to, to be walking kind of this lonely road of isolation. Um, so if you could have actually just one or two sentences, just a quick snippet on, on as a man, as someone who has learned, who has walked the exciting but lonely road of, of travel and wanderlust and all this kind of stuff. If there's, if there's advice, if there's something that you could give to kind of just the men in the church, the men in, in the world, hmm. to, to kind of just not allow themselves to be alone. Is there a, a word? Is there a, a snippet that you could give? And I'm, I'm sorry that we don't have time to, to go super deep into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, last year, I wrote two blog posts, like one week after the other, I think. One was called The Epidemic of Male Loneliness. And the other one was called Are Men Starving for Physical Touch? Mm. I'm trying to remember what I wrote in them. I remember they're probably two of my most popular blog posts I've ever written. But I would say that men think that a tough man or a manly man Mm -hmm. is one who is able to do it all by himself and doesn't need anyone's help and doesn't need connection and doesn't need intimacy. And I think that those... Like we mentioned earlier during the youth group games, those are just lies from the enemy who wants to isolate us yeah. and separate us. You know, if we're coals, he wants to pull us out of the fire and, you know, put us out where it's cold so we just fizzle out. And that's his strategy is working all across America, if not the world, because men see themselves as, I, you know, if I'm a real man, I should be able to burn hot enough by myself. And, and that's just a lie. And Jesus, the Son of God, didn't think that he was tough enough to do it all by himself. He had 12 guys that he traveled with constantly, mm-hmm. you know? And so I guess that's what I would say is, as a man, it's not unmanly for you to have friends and to want intimacy and to have feelings. And I wrote much more in depth about them in those two blog posts, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess we'll, that's what I would say if you're trying to wrap up. Yeah, well, I mean, we will definitely also throw a link you know, with the podcast to those posts, because it's been just a place where, you know, this, this passion that you have of, of really calling out loneliness and calling out, okay, what does it mean to be a man? Mm-hmm. And why do we feel this need to be alone or, or, or solo? You know, that, that, that actually, that speaks to a lot of people who are, who are in a very, very similar situation of fighting with that. And so we want to, mm-hmm. we want to link, if you want to read more about those, those, those posts, uh, please, please go to Ethan Reno. Dot com, and and yes, the epidemic of male loneliness. I think you, it's you know, 2018. Mm-hmm. You posted it, and so people definitely take a look at it, read it up, you know, make comments, all that kind of stuff. But but we talk about loneliness, we talk about the need to be authentic, and we we talk about the the need for connection and all these things. And so the question of the week that we have for next week is: we talk a lot about this, but why? don't we actually do it? We, why don't we actually be authentic, especially in the church? And for a response to everyone who's listening, please go to Facebook, Twitter. You can, you can friend Lori on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at himhministries.com. And Ethan, we just want to thank you for your yeah, time here. It was, it was definitely excellent, and it was good, good conversation. We look forward to, to what God is doing in your life mm-hmm. and hopefully being able to talk to you again in the future. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. It was a great time, and hopefully we'll stay in touch. Very good. Well, people, 
out there in the listening world, we definitely thank you for your time as well. And we look forward to talking with you again next week. If you like what you hear here, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We, we want to hear feedback. We really appreciate your words, your emails, your encouragement, but even your corrections. You know, if there are things that you're like, hey, oh, I was really wanting you to get into this, please leave us a comment because we want to make sure that, that, well, that you're being heard and that, that we are, are doing the best that we can. And so please leave us some feedback. And for all of us here at the HIMH podcast, we will see you next week. Hello. Hey. Hey, is this any better? It sounds like it is. Yeah, it sounds okay. less uh, choppy. Okay. All right. Well, then I am going to, I just got to reconfigure something for our, uh, let's see. I had everything panned so that I was, we were split on uh, what, who was in what track. So let me just okay. straighten this. Let me, uh, I'll go ahead and start recording on my yeah. garage band just so okay. that I don't forget it. All right, I'm recording on my end. Perfect. All right, stand by. So those volume levels should be good. Turn it up a little bit. Test, test, test. Hello, hello. Okay. All right, I'm rolling on my end. You guys. All right. Okay. Steve's, Steve's still yep. playing with some dials. So we're coming through better now than we were before. Is that correct? Yeah, you're you're much clearer now. Awesome. All right. So now to uh, to make sure that we have everything in sync, I just need you to do a slate, which basically um, I'll have you sort of just like do a three, two, one, and then clap on your mic, and I'll okay. put my headphones up to my mic, and hopefully we'll get the clap on both sides, and we'll be we'll be in sync. Ah, oh, clever. Okay. <laughs> All right, go for it. All right, three, two, one. Beautiful. Did it show up? It sure did. Awesome. All right. All right. Any questions? I don't think so. Perfect. I'm just I'm just kind of ready for for you guys to take right. it away. All right. Thank you, Ethan. You good? Well, uh, yeah, I was waiting All for right. you to pray. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. <laughs>